Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, welcome to the Sebe cast number 147 with Crum and Mason breeding. Crum and Mason, how you guys both doing today? Pretty good. Glad to be here. I'm great. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, Mason, this is your second time on the cast. I had, I think, I had you on summer of 2022, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, Crum, uh, this is your first appearance. I've actually just, so I've heard you as a creator before, a RuneScape creator, but I had never been subscribed. I hadn't. I probably had watched a couple videos here and there that just got recommended, but I didn't really know who you were. So I'm excited to talk. Um, and kind of hear your whole journey of OSR's creation. And then Mason, as some of you know, and in, in the description as well, uh, Mason is the CEO of Crusader Talent, who I think you guys, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you are over 50 big OSR's creators in uh, regards to like sponsorships and other things like that, right? Yeah, yeah, we meant, we represent over 50 old school RuneScape creators across YouTube and Twitch and I think since we have been on the, the cast last, we've expanded into other titles as well. So we represent one of the biggest yeah, Roblox YouTubers in the world, Think Noodles, and um, quite a few others in other categories. Awesome. And uh, also, I got to say, in Las Vegas, you guys did host a Crusader uh, talent party <laughs> up in the Bellagio, which was amazing. That was really cool. A lot of fun. They got to meet a lot of creators for the first time. So yeah, you were there, right? Yeah, yeah, dude, I was there too, and I think you're the only person that night that I didn't get a chance to talk to, and that would have been like my face has never been revealed before on the internet, so you would have got the exclusive <laughs> face reveal along with everybody else. But yeah, we just somehow missed each other. <laughs> Maybe I okay. Well, I had to have seen you, but we probably didn't get introduced then. That that might have been the case, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I I know I saw you and recognized you. Okay, at the very least. Interesting. Yeah, Shame on me. That makes me a bad host. Uh, I was DJing as well. I picked that up as a hobby. So I, you know, I DJed something like the first couple hours of the party, and then of course I, I uh, mingled and did my best to connect the a lot of the gamers who have 
I don't know, been friends for years that have never actually had the opportunity to get together. Yeah, the last RuneFest was in, I think, October of 2019. So you know, th there was creators that even I hadn't met in person that I represented for three or four years. Uh, you know, that, that was the first chance I got to meet everyone. It was awesome. It was good to meet you as well. Yeah, that is so cool. Like it's it's just a cool thing to actually meet people in person as well, even just as a creator, not as like a business partner or anything, but just just being able to see people in the flesh and realize like, wow, like this is, I don't know, like what it. One of the best things about having a meetup like that is that you all have a commonality. So it's instantly like, oh, okay, we all kind of like play RuneScape. We all like make content and. I don't know, there's just like that instant connection as well, which is awesome. Um, and you did mention that you uh, picked up DJing. I don't believe you were DJing in the previous cast, so that must be relatively new, unless, <laughs> unless you were but it was at the beginning yeah. stages. So how's yeah, that yeah, no, no it's, it's new. It's just a hobby, and I, and I love it. I picked it up a couple of months ago because, well, I, you know, I, I work a lot. Uh, you know, I work a ton. You know, I got crusader talent we have a, a new division that we opened up called affinity media group and we can get into that later but i've also picked up a lot of responsibility with uh creator crafted which i'm sure we'll talk about later in the podcast as well and so you know i, I needed a, a kind of like a creative outlet to um just spend my time doing things other than working and uh you know, i've always loved music and i love live performances and uh like I, I listen to a lot of music on Spotify, but also music on on SoundCloud. That's my, my favorite to hear music mixed together. Uh, so I, I figured that I'd give it a shot, and and I turned out to be decent at it. Like out of the gate, which I was I was surprised by because I have no no music background at all, and I've actually attributed a lot of it, like my development, you know, to RuneScape. Because if you think about it, you know, I, I'm a PKer, and it's all tempo and rhythm. I mean, that, that, that's all it is. Um, well, maybe, maybe a couple extra things mixed in, but you know, so is DJing. It's, it's really not that uh, complicated on a technical level when, you know, once you have someone who can explain it to you, which I, I took a couple classes on it. And so, yeah, I, I picked it up. It's going well. Uh, it's just something that I do to, to fill my, my own time. That's awesome. I remember, uh, well, I was listening to the Based After Dark podcast a couple weeks ago and Hamzy was talking about his DJing experience. And I know <clears throat> like Bodie has done some DJ streams, Ari Slash as well uh, in the OSRs category has done some DJ streams. And all of them say like, because for me, I look at DJ, I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on. There's too many knobs, too many like things going on. But apparently everyone that gets into it says, no, it's actually like relatively simple, but you can like the... The entry level is very low, but the ceiling can be pretty crazy. Like you can just get better and better and better over the years. So I don't believe yeah. them. Really? I don't believe them at all. I don't believe Mason when he says it's easy or anybody else. <laughs> he tried to show me the ropes. He tried to say it's similar to, you know, doing doing ticking on RuneScape. And it's no, it's it's damn hard. I don't have a musical bone in my body, and there's no chance I'll ever try to pick it up. <laughs> well, that that's definitely gotta be it. It's, it's that musical bone you gotta already have. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Uh, we were we uh, I DJed like a private event uh, when we were at our our leadership summit for Creator Crafted in Florida, and I tried to get Jacob behind the decks and tried to explain <laughs> it to him, but he kept insisting that it was more complicated than I. You know, maybe I'm a bad teacher because it's not that hard. Maybe next time we're 
in the same room with someone like Bodie, he could explain it much better than I can. And uh, then, then next time you're on the cast, Jacob, you'll have picked up DJing too. <laughs> to be fair, when you're showing me, I was just being a, a little shit the entire time, trying to be funny, making comments on everything you were doing, and not actually paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot more sense, though. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so let's get a little bit of a history with you, Crumb. So. Uh, I believe you started YouTube years and years ago, but I want to hear kind of like the whole story of how you got into content creation and what your journey's been and what you're up to now. Oh, God. Well, I mean, as just a nerdy kid, I really like to play RuneScape. And I got involved in the Skiller community. We're talking like 2009, so I was playing as a level three, but training all the other skills. And people would do these Skiller progress videos, like weekly, sometimes monthly, and show off what they had accomplished and talk about their goals. And so I started doing that. And in the beginning, like I was like 10, 11 years old uploading these. I didn't even have a microphone. So I was just typing in game. I couldn't spell at all. And they were, you know, <laughs> just uh, I'm glad that channels now, unfortunately, been lost. I kind of wish I had access to it so I could look back for memories. But I, at one point, I privated all the videos, um, but they would have been super embarrassing. And eventually i got a mic and i was a little squeaker and i was doing those progress <laughs> videos and that's how i got into youtube um and then when uh, evolution of combat came around like most people i ended up quitting the game it just wasn't fun for me anymore uh and when runescape like old school runescape was released i i got back into it um but i something felt like it was missing because back in the day when i was doing these skiller progress videos and making youtube content i felt like you know, people within that community, I wasn't popular, really. I maybe had a couple hundred subscribers, but people recognized me and they watched my stuff. And it was just like much more engaging to kind of be involved in the content creation side of things for me. And so I wanted the same experience with old school, but I wasn't a skiller anymore. And so like I didn't have that super niche community to do content in and get recognized in immediately. And so I just kind of just kind of started doing quest guides and like holiday event guides and that's how I, I got my start on YouTube again in old school. Um, and then uh, it, it turned into a bit of a money thing. Um, I, I quit doing YouTube videos for a while, but I noticed in my AdSense account, I had made $50. And like, I think I'm in like grade nine at this time or something, right? And the, the payout on YouTube is $100. And I had no money to my name. So I was like salivating over the potential of getting that $100. <laughs> and so I started uploading all these RuneScape quest guides. And like three months later, I hit that threshold. And dude, I think I bought myself a large pepperoni pizza from Domino's. <laughs> I had it delivered to the house. Like I was, I was living like a king for that week with that $100. Um, but then, you know, I need it more. <laughs> and so I uploaded a few hundred quest guides. Um, I, I was trying to do every quest in the game at the time, and eventually I set my, my sights on bigger horizons, and I noticed that, um, I noticed, I, I was looking at videos that would hit the algorithm instead of being videos that people would search for to try and get, you know, bigger views, and I, I took a, a look at what type of Minecraft content was doing well. And I saw um, there was this video called, like, Top 10 Things Only Old Minecraft Players Will Remember. And so I did uh, that video, but for RuneScape, and it, like, 
blew up for me. It got like 100,000 views within the first couple of days. And I was over the moon. And so I turned that into like an eight-part series. And ever since then, I've kind of been trying to do content that uh, will hit the algorithm and instead of things that people search for. Very cool. Yeah, that's. I think that really is the start to so many content creators' journeys is like messing around, having absolutely no clue what you're doing. And then for the people that really stick around and, and, and make it become like a lucrative thing, it's it's you all of a sudden see a little bit of money and you're like, wow, I am literally just playing video games and uploading stuff and something's happening. So yeah, yeah, it's, and so yeah go for it. From there, I kind of uh, turned my channel into covering RuneScape abuse. So uh, people that bought on the game and people that like scam or or do hacking attacks. Was, so I, was that because like you would see other, like you knew that that would hit the algorithm different or what made you kind of transition into that? Or was it just dude, out of your own curiosity? I'll, I'll tell you what happened. I decided um, kind of midway through this, old things people will remember series that I wanted to do uh, like a top 10 RuneScape bugs throughout history. And um, after I posted that video, I got contacted by uh, this person, Zeb, the Plague Doctor, who was part of a RuneScape abuse group uh, called Hex Unit that you might remember. It was quite famous pre-EOC. And we did an interview together. And that video got like so many views, I, I think like half a million or something. Um, within a couple weeks and so that kind of kicked me off on this whole like runescape abuse path where i would interview people who were doing these like underground things in runescape and i was also partly influenced by the success of silent cores um runescape underground series that he had done pre-eoc and so yeah i, I spent the next god maybe three years covering a, a ton of topics in that space as they relate to runescape and I browsed your YouTube. It looks like a lot of those just did very, very well. Was that is was that like the main growth of your channel at that time? Like those few years of doing that kind of style? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My channel went from like I built my whole channel basically around that content nearly, nearly entirely. So do you have like what are the videos? Because at least on my channel, I do have like a selection. It's mainly the casts that I do where like a year after I've published it, all of a sudden it'll hit the algorithm. Have you ever had videos like that where you'll look back and you're like, wow, there's a huge spike now. And is there like a correlation to those topics that you saw? You know, for my RuneScape videos, I haven't had any of them take off really after the fact. It's always been within the same month that they're uploaded. They either, they either you know, are a rocket ship or they just kind of fizzle out. Uh, there, there's a few of the big ones that, of course, get like a pretty st steady trickle flow um, views every month that come in. Uh, but some of my newer content, since I've been um, expanding outside of RuneScape, uh, I have seen that actually. <clears throat> um, some of them have taken off like literally months after I posted them. And uh, we, we can we can go into that now or we can talk about it later. But I, I think it's because of audience profiles on YouTube and making that switch that it took a long time for them to hit the algorithm. Yeah, so I actually do want to talk about it now, and I actually have a couple questions just in regards to that. So one of the fears that a lot of people have, I obviously see it in the RuneScape section because that's my 
game that I follow, but it must happen in every sort of game category where you're known for a certain game and then transitioning out of that. There's a lot of fear attached probably of like, okay, maybe this will fail. Maybe I'll have to go back. But there is that kind of sense of adventure of like doing something new and the potential reward of doing something new. So what, how was that decision made for you to kind of transition from the old school uh, videos into now what you're doing and you can talk about what you're doing right now. Yeah. So this is a big topic and I'll tell you right off the hop, I was scared shitless. So to give you a little background, I was, I went to school to be a software developer and I was working full time as a software developer up until 2020. And when COVID hit, they laid off half of the company and like, look, I loved, um, I loved programming as a kid growing up. It was one of my childhood interests. And I was really goddamn good at it, but it turns out I hate it as a job and I, I haven't touched it <laughs> in any significant way since getting let go in 2020 because it kind of spoiled it for me to do it as formal employment. And so when I got laid off, um, I had about a, I had enough money to have a three month window to either make YouTube work or I was going back to the corporate world. And we had a few months earlier kind of launched uh, the RuneScape figures and we were doing them through 3D printing. And so um, combined with with being able to do these figurines full time and going into YouTube full time, I thought that I would have a chance of being able to, you know, pay rent through all of this. And so uh, it worked out. Um, I haven't had a, a real job since, but I, I made this transition out of RuneScape YouTube content um, just over a year ago now. And it was super risky because, like, this is my whole livelihood. And if I mess it up, then I'm going back to a real job. So the stakes were high. <laughs> but <clears throat> also, I never found a... A lot of people in the RuneScape uh, YouTube community find a format that they're able to do, you know, on a weekly or monthly basis. And they're kind of able to upload the same video over and over again. And it keeps getting views. Maybe it's PKing. Maybe it's Sir Pugger where he does the bot busting stuff. I was I never found a format like that um, for for the, for my RuneScape stuff. I was always trying to find the next sensational story, and I really felt like um, that I had covered everything I wanted to cover. And it was either time to go back and start repeating stories, or like really try to find something new. And I, I experimented with a few new RuneScape series. I was going to do one. Um, where I kind of go into all the different like ways that people play the game, like Tileman or Level 3 Skiller, and like interview people in those communities and like cover all the creative ways that people um, play the game. But uh, my early test videos of that series just didn't do well. Um, they were, you know, way below my average viewership. And so, like, you know, my, my RuneScape YouTube journey, like my, my channel was kind of dying, it felt like. Um, at the same time, I, I had this, um, I've always had this interest in cybersecurity coming from a programming background, and it's, you know, partly the reason why I cover RuneScape hacks and scams, because I've always been interested in this stuff, and there's all these, like, really, really big stories um, in the real world where people are stealing millions of dollars, usually in crypto, or they're breaking into big companies like Twitter and Microsoft, and so uh, I thought there might be an opportunity to kind of move away from RuneScape scams and talk about real world scams. And so I took a risk as like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to make this video on um Graham Ivan Clark, the teenager who had hacked Twitter and posted a Bitcoin doubling scam. 
I'm going to take a risk and post that video because there's a bit of a RuneScape tie-in where it was a doubling scam. I think my RuneScape viewers will relate to that. <laughs> and I posted it and it did horrible. It was my like 10 out of 10 on uploads. Um, in terms like on YouTube Studio, a 10 out of 10 is your worst performing upload out of your last 10 uploads. And it sat at like 10, 15,000 views for months. And I went back to doing RuneScape content. Um, and then all of a sudden it took off and it hit the algorithm and got, now it's at 3.1 million views. Holy. Like, holy yeah. It was mm. like, holy, holy crap. 3.1 million views. Like we're talking about as many views as I've gotten, um, uploading RuneScape content together over the last like two years in one video. <laughs> Wow. And I spent a lot of time on that video. It was a hell of a lot more work, but it wasn't as much work as uploading 50 RuneScape videos. <laughs> and it and probably so, feels a lot better knowing you can do one project and, and hit numbers like that. Wow. Yeah, it does. And I've always been a really slow uploader because I'm always super meticulous about my research and I want things to be um, factual. And I, I, if you look at my scripts, like they're, they're actually, I, I cite them and I, I put a lot of research into them. And so even my, my RuneScape videos were big productions and I was still uploading them. Uh, sometimes, you know, I, I tried for monthly, but often it would be every other month that I'd upload a video. And so if I'm going to spend a ton of time on a video, like, it has to do well for it to be worth it. Otherwise, it's like, damn, I've kind of worked for free for the last two months. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but now... Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Mason. Yeah, Jacob, we, we just glossed over the fact that you got 3.1 million views on a video. Like... Like I want people listening to try to put that in perspective. Like that's a massive, massive number, and something you should be really proud of. You know, to, to put it in scale, that's like the entire population of a of major cities like Chicago, Toronto, uh, that have watched that video of yours. And that's I shouldn't say unprecedented because there have been you know a few creators in the RuneScape category that have achieved that level of virality. But you. You know, you did so, um, I wouldn't say quickly because the, the video did start out as, as a massive success, but relatively quickly and relatively uh, massively compared to what your viewership was like on all of your other content. Yeah, dude, it still boggles my mind. Seriously. So were you and... thinking that this was maybe just a lucky chance that had kind of happened or did you notice something deeper that yeah. like, okay, this no. will continue? Something happened, actually, that made that happen. Um, so YouTube has, it knows your audience profile, right? It has, like, your, your common viewers. You can go into your analytics and see, like, who watches your video and what videos and what channels your, your videos get recommended next to. And so the video originally kind of fizzled out because it never got recommended outside of my RuneScape audience profile and people weren't interested in it. But... Uh, Moist Critical had actually covered this story on Graham Ivan Clark um, in, in a series of videos, and he was doing a Twitch live stream uh, where he was just doing a YouTube binge, and somebody recommended the video to him, and he watched it on stream, and that saw a huge peak of traffic, and then after that, Soda Poppin watched it on stream, and then XQC watched it on stream, and so a bunch of people like went to the video because they wanted to watch it on their own. And then the audience profile on that video in specific changed and started getting recommended next to people like Sunny V2 and um, God, I can't think of their names, but all these other people that do like similar real life hacking style content. 
And that's when it blew up in a big way. But then I was at this crossroads where it's like now my audience profile on YouTube, it's changing. And after it blew up, I had uploaded a couple of RuneScape videos and oh no, I'm having the same problem that I'm having with this Graham Ivan Clark video in that they're not hitting the right RuneScape audience profile anymore and they're super slow out of the gate. And those eventually found their way back into the right uh, channels, the, like right promotional, like right audience profile, and they ended up doing well. But I knew if I continue to do these hacker videos, I'm going to basically completely ruin my channel in terms of being able to upload RuneScape content if any more of them do well. Mm -hmm. And so I was really torn if I want to go down that path because, well, look, I had this like little figures side hustle built around my channel and I was pretty well exclusively advertising on my channel. I wasn't having, there, there was no other partners that were advertising them. And so like, if I made this transition, it, it kind of seemed like maybe that would go away and I would never be able to really go back to RuneScape content, especially where it's getting so many subscribers from that video that did really well. Like they're, they're not interested in RuneScape. There's no going back. And Mason, who's got, I, I know his name every other day. Uh, the guy that does hunting, he's in Crusader. Um, oh, that does hunting? Yeah, he's got like uh, a collection. Pet hunting, you mean? No, pet no, no. Re real life. You've, you've been to his house. Oh, oh, Nine Rain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, Nine, Nine Rain. Rain. Yeah, yeah. I, I put a message in the Crusader Discord server kind of expressing my, why I was so torn up about this decision. And Nine Rain gave me some good advice. He said, look, man, what do you want to be doing in three years? Like, what do you want to be uploading content on? And again, I was kind of like out of RuneScape content anyways. And so, yeah, I made the the jump and decided to see if it would work out. And uh, I've uploaded a, a small series of these videos and they, they continue to do well. So I've got my fingers crossed that they'll continue to do well into the future. And um, with the figures business, I've been able to maintain that uh, to some extent through paid promotions with, with other YouTubers um, instead of just advertising them myself. <clears throat> so yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I am now. Wow, that's cool. <clears throat> and that really is like so important because uh, I don't know, just kind of getting older, um, at least in the content creation space, it seems like you, a lot of people just kind of have the luck of the draw or, you know, really dedicate themselves to content creation. But then at a certain point, you're realizing like, am I doing this for the rest of my life? Is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Is just, you know, RuneScape stuff um, or, you know, any other game that they're playing. So that definitely, like, shout out to Nine Rain for that uh, just thought-provoking <laughs> question because that really is just so important. Yeah, yeah. he, without, without that, I might have still been doing RuneScape, to be honest. So do you, uh, this is a question I have just simply because, like, I've seen creators make secondary channels where, you know, they'll keep their RuneScape audience, but now they want to do something else. I know Rendy, um, a couple of years back, wanted to make a, like an IRL channel. But, and I've, I've talked to Solo Mission before where he says, you know, mixing channels and uploading different content can really kind of ruin a channel's, um, I guess, consistency in views. So that... So I guess my question is like, did you consider making a secondary channel to have all these like cyber criminal videos and keep your RuneScape? Or was it really just like, I want to really focus on cyber criminal and I probably won't go back to RuneScape. So it would be better to just have a larger subscriber base. Yeah, they're they're not wrong. There's definitely no going back for me now. I, I don't think, I think um, 
it'd be very hard for me to switch now back to RuneScape. Um, it, it was a little easier breaking out, and granted, I got quite lucky with that um, Twitch stream promotion that helped me make the switch. I know it, it would have been the smart thing to do, to make a new channel, but I think it would have been um, harder to do from the very start. I know, like, Call Nello has success. He's gotten millions of views on his secondary channel, Nello. Um, but for me, I just really, like... I was already so strapped for time. It's like, I don't want to restart and try to build another channel from scratch. I'm just going to put all my eggs in this basket and <laughs> we'll see if it works or not. So you've uploaded quite a few videos, at least a handful of um, different kind of uh, stories of like these cyber criminals uh, recently, and they've all seen massive numbers. So is that like so what's your plan going forward is it really just that continuing to find these very interesting stories of you know these cyber criminals and you know creating the script and everything and making a video or, or do you have any other ideas that are that you're thinking of kind of transitioning into um so yeah, yeah what are your plans now yeah no this this is it for the time being i've got a long list of really interesting stories that I want to cover and oftentimes these are big productions like two months ago I uploaded a video on the Mt. Gox hacks hack saga and it was like a, it was like a 20,000 word script I mean truly a short story and all well researched and cited I mean these are you know stories about real people and oftentimes they, they involve the law and so I've got a duty to be factual when I upload these and um, you know, tell the truth of the stories. And so they, they take a really long time to write. On top of that, um, they're, they're usually well covered already, but just in news stories as they happened. And so I like to view all these news stories as like a first rough draft of history. And then when I decide on, on a story that I want to cover, uh, I'll go back through and kind of make a timeline of all of the events and then find like a, a fitting story arc. More often than not, it's rags to riches to rags. But like in the Mount Gox video, it was, it was overcoming the dragon where the FBI um, had a really hard time tracking down this hacker who had stolen <laughs> billions of dollars in crypto. And for a long time, it looked like they would never catch him. And so try to try to put all these different news pieces together and look at things like the affidavits that came out. Um, and then also try to like... So I, I took a lot of... I. I got really good at research from these RuneScape videos because it's hard to find um, information about RuneScape. You got to really get into the weeds of Google search results. And so like one thing I'll do with these videos that I think is different than anybody else is like I'll read every Twitter post that somebody has ever made and then try to pull some of possibly their motives or possibly give a little insight into how they arrived at committing their later much more serious crimes like in the case of Graham Ivan Clark he had this whole YouTube channel where he was like hacking on Minecraft and scamming his his viewership and like nobody had ever talked about that before in media and I found like all this historical evidence of him um, from his online profiles and like tied that into the beginning of the video and kind of showed how that led to him committing this huge hack um, same with uh, Joelle Ortiz in, in my video. It's this kid who was an honor student who went on to uh, SimSwap millions of dollars, went into like all his Twitter posts and his early forum history and, and all that, that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah, to answer your question, I've got a, a huge list of, of videos of very similar topics that I want to cover. And the main bottleneck so far has been just script writing for the main part. It takes uh, 
heck of a lot of time to do the research and then even longer to to craft that story narrative and so uh, actually recently we've been um hiring uh a whole bunch of script writers um to try and help out with that process wow so you're already in the process of like hiring more uh people <clears throat> how does that work i guess as a creator that i'm assuming you did everything alone and now getting other people to help are you kind of intimidated by that whole process um well yeah go for it luckily mason has been kind of whipping me into shape i've always had a <laughs> really really hard time yeah letting go of control over any of that because it's hard to convey how you want things done and I think you probably relate doing YouTube, like you build up so many superstitions around <laughs> what might do well and just wording certain things, it feels like is going to be like more captivating to the audience. And oftentimes it also feels like it's really hard to find um, good talent to help with this stuff because if someone's like really good at it, they've probably just got a YouTube channel of their own that they're doing it on. And so uh, luckily I've got more of a format now than I ever had with these new stories. And it's made uh, providing guidance to uh, people that we're hiring um, easier now that there's kind of a format that I can share. Um, but it's been very hands-on. I'm still super involved with the process to try to make sure that um, these videos come out with like the vision that I have for them. That's fascinating. So <clears throat> I do recall Mason talking about how like sponsorships work at least in the osrs scene where you know the sponsor uh ship people are f trying to find like what your latest uploads have been so they're not going to make a gamble mm -hmm. on what this next video will do but they're just going to base it on other videos so with a video like these cyber documentaries like are you um like have you gotten big sponsorships yet or is that like in the process like how does how are you planning to like really monetize these videos in the future rather than just I'll let, revenue. I'll let Mason answer this, but I do want to make one comment first. Um, you're right. They do look at your past performance and some of these videos that got big views, they got a hell of a deal on because they were booking me at a, at a RuneScape rate and they went on to get millions of views. <laughs> nah, yeah, yeah, I can uh, imagine. Yeah, yeah. So uh, to answer your question plainly to start is, is we have more sponsors interested in Chrome's YouTube channel than ever before. And we don't have enough videos to meet the demand. I mean, we have people basically banging down my door to, to work with him because, you know, there, there's a I mean, there's several YouTube channels that cover cyber crimes, but really not that many and not that many that produce content with his his uh, attention to detail as Crumb does. And it, it makes his endorsement really valuable because um, he stands by his research and what he says. Um, it, you know, that confidence um, you know, in his storytelling of what's transpired, these cyber crimes, is really compelling. It's very entertaining. And in turn, people find him to be very authentic. And I think that's what people are uh, look for when they you know, choose to engage with a, with a sponsor on YouTube is like, is this person just BS to be here? Are they just reading a, you know, a script and just getting, th uh, getting through it? Or, you know, is there an actual, is there actual value here that I, you know, that I should listen to because the person who's telling me is, is authentic. So yeah, the, we're having a hard time 
um, fending off the sponsors, if anything. And we do have a series of, 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 of big name sponsors who, you know, we're just waiting for the, the opportunity uh, to get integrated into a video. So, I mean, that's been the main job, you know, on, on my side and helping from scaleless channel is, um, is it, it's, it's really hard for creatives to let go of the reins on anything. Yeah. Uh, and Crumb's no exception. You know, he's remarkable at what he does. The thing is, it just takes him too long to do it. I mean, the you know, it takes several months to make these videos, and that's not a knock on you, Crumb. Uh, but you know, there's there are some tasks that can be delegated to other people. And you know, since I've you know I've, I've built businesses of my own and and scaled them and hired people, and you know, that requires a whole nother skill set. Than it does to actually uh, cr you know, create videos. So it was managing people, recruiting people, negotiating their you know, their contracts, uh, and uh, you know ultimately expecting them to deliver what they have committed to deliver. You know uh, that that managerial aspect is something that Crumbs embraced really well, and I think that in 2024 you know, he's going to have a lot of success in being able to meet the demand of the sponsors. Not that not that that's the main. It's not, it's not the main uh, consideration with making these videos. It's really to provide entertaining content, uh, but ultimately you still got to make money to, to be able to, you know, pay for all of these people to help, you know, make content. So that's where the sponsors come in. So, you know, it's, it's a complementary relationship. Um, so it, I think he's done a really good job. And I, you know, I got to say, I, uh, I love the, the old RuneScape content that he used to do as well. I mean, I think one of my favorite videos was an investigation in the in the RuneScape cyber sex market. I mean, how many videos do you see that cover <laughs> RuneScape cyber sex market? Uh, and how many, you know, how many videos do you see that uh, go inside, you know, that take a deep dive inside of Venezuelans training online accounts for money? I mean, that's 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 hard to to dig up, and it's even hard to get in con, even harder to get in contact with these people and to be able to create a compelling video out of it. So, you know, part of me wishes. I could just I could clone clone crumb and you know one half of him does uh, you know you know RuneScape you know docu uh, docu series or docu style uh, content and the other does uh, th these bigger cybercrime projects. So optimally, <laughs> what what is your vision as like you know hiring enough people? Would you would would you want to start like producing videos on a weekly basis? Like, is there some sort of time frame where that you think would be like optimal? with your channel once you've hired a bunch of people? Uh, I like to do really big productions and I like to do, I like to make a really good story. And there's kind of this trend of YouTube automation that I hate where channels will, uh, they'll, they'll get people to write scripts and they'll just kind of record them without really a care. And then they'll have someone edit them and there's just not a lot, a lot of love put into them. And their only goal is to pump out content as fast as possible, usually at a weekly upload cadence. And I, uh, I hate that. Um, right now, for, for 2024, I really want to upload monthly. I'm not sure if it's going to be possible yet. It might end up being every other month. Um, but I, I want to maintain quality. And these, these are stories that I really am fascinated by often myself. And so, um, yeah, I like to put a lot of care into them. And I want to make them, you know, as good as they possibly can be. So uploading so. on a like, uh, I guess a longer basis, does that help with the video? Like, I'm just curious, like where it comes to click through rate and stuff. Uh, just if, if you do have a rarer video schedule, 
does that actually make the video do better in any <clears throat> way at all? Or is it literally just dependent on, you know, if the audience loves the video or not? I, I'm just curious if that has any factor to play in it. <clears throat> yeah, I think my, my best videos have always, like the ones that do do the get the most views always have um, the longest watch time on them. I think at the end of the day, YouTube wants to sell advertisement space and if they can keep people on the platform as long as possible that's how they're able to sell the most ads on these videos and so um i go with like the mr beast philosophy where i just want to uh, produce the best most engaging most captivating video possible and i um, feel like if i spend more time on it in the end they'll get exponentially more views than if i uh, just rush something out um that said, some of my best performing videos are ones that I did on a crunch. So maybe that's not so true, but yeah, I just kind of focus on uploading uh, quality over quantity. Very cool. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about this creator crafted that I said before the cast started uh, has been pretty hot in the OSRs community. It feels like, especially with all the leagues videos coming out there, that seems to be like the dominating sponsorship that I've seen as well as Twitch creators um kind of advertising for creator crafted so if you guys want to kind of talk about how that all started and kind of why the idea even sprouted and how that's been doing so uh mason or crumb you guys can start crumb why don't you take the lead on it and i'll fill in any gaps yeah i know i know how it started um so kind of before I went full on into this transition i wanted to see if it would be feasible to still be profitable um the the figure business would still be profitable if it wasn't just me doing the advertisements on my youtube channel you know for free i don't have to pay anything to to do a shout out on my own videos um and so i i had partnered up with uh flipping old school before uh multiple times but then flipping signed with uh crusader talent i think i actually got him on board right mason yeah something like that i, I know you recommended him at one point, uh, he's. I'm also a big fan of the FIB. I've represented him for a couple of years now. Yeah, and so, anyways, you saw an email come through from me, um, kind of on the other side of operations as a sponsor for flipping, and you're like, "Oh, this is interesting to have a creator signed with Crusader trying to book an ad now." And um, yeah, we we ran a few ads last Christmas, and uh, it was it was still profitable, thankfully. Um, so we're still in business with the figures and, uh, you Mason approached me and you said, Hey, um, we've got, you know, empty ad slots, uh, with YouTubers. Um, would, would your figure business be able to like pick up any of these? And I was like, no, we, we don't have uh, the budget or, or even the, the stock to be able to do that. But the wheels got turning in your head that, Hey, maybe we can uh, create some sort of product line that is like fits RuneScape and it can be a way that we fill some of these empty ad slots for for runescape youtubers um and we thought that the led signs would be a, a really good fit for that yeah that's exactly how it went down and you know i had always dreamed of of having a brand that i could use to sponsor the the, the creators at crusader and and beyond and for years, I've just been racking my brain on, okay, what, what exactly should it be? You know, I've thought of, every, you know, I've, I've thought of seemingly everything, you know, do we do like glasses? Do we do earbuds or other peripherals? 
Um, and you know, we saw an opportunity with LED signs and now now mouse mats. And um, you know, just did some basic research on okay, you know, could we bring these to market and do them justice? You know, is this going to be high enough quality that we want to put our names on it and, and advocate for? And you know, we went through I, I don't even know countless rounds of of sampling from other manufacturers for our, from various manufacturers and uh, you know spent thousands of dollars uh, which you know, this is just a you know a side business that we had no idea if it would get any traction so the investment of anything uh, you know was was a lot to us you know, we, we got our own personal cash on the line so uh, we were really really thorough and we found you know suppliers that were able to um, you know to do justice for our brand and ultimately deliver you know, quality products that the thankfully the Rootscape community ended up really liking. So, you know, instead of these YouTube videos and, and Twitch ad slots going to waste, you know, people, you know, every time a Crusader creator uploads a video without a sponsor that they would have, they would have put a sponsor on, it's like a little part of me dies. You know, it, you know it's my job and my team's job to, uh, a Crusader to, to fill those slots and to help our creators monetize their their content primarily through sponsorship. So having a brand, you know, that that we owned that um, allows us to, you know, insert you know these ads into otherwise un, unused uh, ad slots is is perfect. And um, the creators have have found it to be really lucrative as well. Some of some of our creator partners, which we're at over thirty plus now, this this is their most lucrative sponsor and. The great thing about it for them is that it's RuneScape related. So we've we've found that people skip these ads less than uh, you know other traditional sponsors. Why? Well, uh, the only real difference between uh, you know our ads and other traditional sponsors is that it's RuneScape related. That's like the main variable, and so uh, you know the, the creators are quite happy with that, um, and we're able to to book for. Uh, you know, I, I suppose discounted rates compared relative to what you know the market prices are, uh, while still keeping it fair for everyone. And it's been a, and this is really all thanks to Jagex and and first off their fan IP policy that allows us to produce a hundred of each. Um, and and then you know they were generous enough to grant us a license. You know, so we're an officially licensed product line, but actually two officially licensed product lines with the LED signs and the mouse mat. So. You know, it, and that allows us to sell as many as we want. So we're no longer capped at, at 100, which, you know, all other merch stores uh, that are RuneScape related are, you know, are handicapped by. Um, there's also other, uh, you know, stipulations in that fan uh, IP policy that, you know, you, you can't use print-on-demand services. And uh, you're, there's, there's a few others without getting into the nitty gritty that, that they make it hard for people to, to do this, you know, sustainably and at scale. And, and thankfully, uh, you know, Due to the team over at Jagex, we've we've been fortunate in and being able to work with them, and they, they even help us, you know, promote things like giveaways. And we're going to have uh, some stuff coming in the pipeline uh, that I think is going to be really exciting uh, over the next you know couple of months or so with Jagex. That uh, that that of course we wouldn't be able to do without them. So we're really so grateful. How did that all work out? Like with getting that permission from Jagex, did they? take any sort of cut from this or is it really just out of their own kind of generosity to grant you this? They, yeah, um, so, yeah, go ahead, Jacob. They, yeah, they, they get a, they get a royalty on sales and we're actually, we're pretty proud of that because 
you know, not only does a sale support um, the creator that's advertising it, but also it goes to support the game. And yeah, I think we're both we're both pretty proud of that. That's really yeah, cool. and the the structure is sustainable for us too. I mean, they, they were really fair with it. Yeah, yes, they they get a cut uh, of sales, um, you know, but it's you know it it benefits the game, you know, the studio itself. It benefits the creators and it benefits benefits us. So, uh, and I, I think it benefits the fan base just at large, you know, to bring products to market that well they like they're they're purchasing it. I mean, we've sold thousands of products and we've only been in business since June, so it, it's pretty remarkable. Like how much community support that we've had in, in these you know few short buds. Actually, Jagex has been really really nice to us. Like normally, when you talk about licensing uh, intellectual property, like you're you're going to be spending like in the six figures just to do it, and then there's going to be deep revenue splits. And you know, Critter Crafted is this <laughs> you know business that we we scrapped together from. Um, not very much, and uh, it's it's amazing just that Jagex would even you know entertain this idea to begin with. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, to be fair, you guys are very much uh, well. At least Mason, being the CEO of Crusader, it, you are very much in that OSRS space. So I think maybe they recognize you're already supporting a bunch of creators that, without them, you know, Jagex wouldn't be doing as well without these like massive creators that are. I think they saw the value in it. Um... And a large reason because of that, like how much advertising value are they getting out of out of people that are creating content around the game? Like it can't even be measured the value there. And also, um, RuneScape, RuneScape YouTube and content creation, I think, is in kind of uh, it, it's it's in a tough size for YouTube because without sponsorships and without these these types of like you know collaborations. Um, Usually, just the AdSense on its own isn't enough to do full time. And I know when I was doing doing RuneScape YouTube full time, like a sponsorship was make or break for paying rent for the month, um, just because of like the views that RuneScape content gets. And so, like, it's really, really important to maintain full time content creation that people are able to get ads on like every single one of their videos. Yeah, yeah, no, no pressure for me, right? You just gotta, you just got to, <laughs> to literally put food on the table and pay rent if I don't, if I don't deliver. But yeah, no, uh, jokes aside, it it really does help move the needle. And Jagex really did not need to be as as generous as they were in working with us. Yeah, and yeah, of course, it doesn't help that we manage over fifty of their content creators, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know they're obliged to to do what they did. And the fact that they welcomed us with open arms and, and issued. Their license is great, and they they're continuing to support our growth as an organization, um, which I you know I can tease a little bit of what that'll look like. But you know, um, you know, I, I think you're going to be seeing partnerships down the road with other smaller uh, merchandise stores that would you know have difficulty obtaining a license and you know maintaining some of the you know the technical legal requirements that you know uh, you know having an IP you know, agreement with a, a you know, billion dollar company requires it's it's not like anyone can just knock on the door and, and sign up same day so i think we're gonna uh, be able to expand our product range you know with uh, smaller merch stores that are already in the community and have that that presence that's really cool yeah i was i was gonna ask like it does this extend as well for you guys moving beyond led signs and how, like have you guys thought of any other products are you able to leak any if so yeah, well, um, we we sell desk mats, mouse pads, desk mats, like the, the, these big, awesome designs that a, a very talented artist in the community by the name of Uber 
designs for us. And uh, we've we've launched several, uh, four or five now, several different uh, designs and have more coming, you know, next quarter. And then, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know how much we want to give away, Jacob, but you know, there's definitely some products that already are already popular that we're, um, you know, that we're exploring, experimenting with. Uh, that includes apparel, uh, just broadly, and um, and so yeah, th- those will come. Uh, we don't have a license for for any of those yet, uh, but you know, like I said, we'll we'll see what the future holds. It's it, you know, I imagine. Um, we're going to continue to grow into other product categories. Very cool. I want to take a little step back and talk about um, the, I guess, interesting stories that you had, Crum, uh, on your YouTube. Just just the simple fact of covering these uh, bot farms and other things that you were doing. And I recall you saying you may have gotten some death threats. Um, oh, my God, dude. Yeah, so it's... I, I want to I hear if there was uh, <laughs> any particular interesting stories that uh, you'd like to share. It's nuts. It turns out when you uh, expose someone's scam on RuneScape, they <laughs> oftentimes they think that Jagex is going to take action against whatever it is that they're doing. And so to them, it's like, oh, my God, this person's ruining my, my moneymaker. And they're already doing these nefarious activities anyways. So they're, uh, their morals are oftentimes a little questionable. And so what lines will they take to try to stop me? And it turns out they'll sometimes go quite far. So... I did a video on X staking um, in 2017 and people would have, you know, slightly less than maxed out combat stats and they go to the duel arena and they would ask you to put up like 10% more than whatever the bet was. Well, the combat stats didn't really warrant that much of an increase. And so over time they would end up profiting from this in a big way. And uh, these X stakers, set up uh, bot farms with these accounts that they were paying people to create that have these certain stats and they were making a ton of money from it and I got into one of their discord servers and I interviewed somebody who was doing it and he sent me pictures of his bot farm and like told me all these insider details and um, when that video went live I think I got more backlash from any of these sketchy communities than I ever had before somebody went as far to find out what college I was going to and they sent an email uh, to the school saying that I was going to bring a bomb there. Oh my um, God. Yeah, dude, they were finding pictures of my partner and sending them, uh, sending that to me on discord with, you know, unsavory messages. Um, <laughs> Jesus dude, Christ. Luck, l- luckily for me, I'm in Canada and, uh, I was going to, I was going there for, for programming. So the, uh, professor who that, that email trickled down to, like he was kind of privy to this stuff and, um, you know, it didn't come from my personal email or anything. So instead of calling in the calling in the SWAT team, uh, he just, you know, <laughs> asked me personally, hey, what, what's going on here? And I let him know the situation. Um, but I yeah. know, Krub, I, I want to know, like, if you recall what his, what his words were. Like, how do you open? Uh, like, hey, are you going to? Are you gonna bring a bob into school today? Like, how exactly did he bring that up to you? <laughs> he actually he so it was over the weekend. He forwarded me the email to my my like student account and said like, "What is this? What's going what on? is this?" <laughs> yeah, wow. and I I explained um, you know I, I do YouTube and I piss some some people off online and uh, yeah they want my head for it. <laughs> so like having that happen to you because I mean in the moment that stuff can be scary because you're dealing with anonymous 
lunatics online that you really don't know their seriousness. Uh, I've, you know, I've obviously heard of like the stories from Kent Q and I believe like even Sir Pugger has kind of had some instances of these kind of threats and stuff. I don't know to that extent, but it seems like a lot of it is purely threat based. Now that seems like it actually did trickle into the actual real world, but I'm just wondering like in those moments, do you reconsider what you're doing uh, content wise? Like, do you kind of want to stray away from it? I don't know. So what, what, yeah, what dude, thoughts? It, it's an awful thing to do to somebody. My, my anxiety was through the roof uh, for sure. Um, but it's like, you know, to when people try to silence whatever it is that you're talking about, oftentimes, and we saw this with like Kemp Q's video, it has the opposite effect where it brings even more attention to it, especially when you go on to talk about the thing that they did to try to stop you talking about the thing that they don't want you to talk about. And, and so it like, you know, these types of threats, um, more often than not always had the, uh, the exact opposite effect of, um, silencing, you know, the, the thing that they were doing, keeping it out of like, you know, the, the public's eye. Um, and so I, I never let it stop me. Um, that was one of the very first RuneScape abuse videos that I ever did. And I continued to do them for years after. And, uh, no one ever attempted to swat me again. And I got a lot more tight about my, what personal information I share online and what's easily findable. Um, but people have, you know, certainly they, they, <laughs> to this day, they send me very strange and mean um, messages on Discord or by email or by Twitter, you know, threatening and, and stuff like this. Um, but yeah, there's not really much that someone, I think, can do. I mean, I've had people tell me if I ever go to RuneFest, they're going to stab me and stuff like this, but Jesus I'm not... Uh, yeah, dude, but I, you know, I think it's... There's not a lot of... Um, people aren't actually going to do that. They're yeah. That, hiding behind that, a computer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that I think... But it's hard to know for sure because you're, again, dealing with weirdos online. So, But most of it, at least what I've heard, is that a lot of these guys are keyboard warriors and they'll say whatever they need mm -hmm. to. Um, yeah, exactly. yeah you know, exactly. And you know, nothing that you do online is, is really private. I mean, th there's ways that we can find out exactly who these people are who are, are sending threats that, you know, aren't really credible but, um, you know, most of them just get ignored and put to the wayside. But, you know, we've got the resources to, to actually track these people down and hold them accountable. And if, they, if people think that they can just throw a VPN on and, and think that they're, they're yeah, and use a burner email, yeah, and think that they're, what they're doing is private and we can't find out, well, that's, that's just, they're mistaken. With the X staking stuff, one of the people that were that was harassing me, um, I found his LinkedIn profile and sent him uh, a screenshot of it, and all of a sudden he did a complete 180 and he was apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, um, it's like it, it, you're coming after a guy who investigates cyber crimes. You, you, do you think he doesn't know how to get a hold of people's information? You know, it's like really, you really want to mess with them? What's interesting is with these new videos that I'm covering, um, we're dealing with much more sophisticated. Uh, threat actors often and i thought that the response from some of them would be so much worse than the runescape stuff because we're not dealing with thousands of dollars anymore we're literally talking about at times tens of millions of dollars being stolen and i worried that talking about the sim swapping attacks and talking about um, things like emergency data recovery uh, through um, fake law through through hacked law enforcement emails or fake subpoena requests i worried that people that are doing that would be really upset and actually come after me in a, in a big way um 
But no, they seem to love it, actually. Um, I think uh, they <laughs> they like to see it talked about for some reason. Like, nobody, like, I haven't had such a negative, awful response as I did in the RuneScape community. I don't know why. Um, I want to ask, just because you had been doing that for years, um, what is something that you think the OSRS community, the a vast majority of us, have no idea what's actually happening underground? Um, things that maybe you had seen, but you feel like the wider community has no idea about. Talk about the sex market, the underground sex market. <laughs> Mason wants to hear it. <laughs> so interesting to me. I can't believe that that's a thing. I think um, the worst thing that happens to anybody um, in like the RuneScape abuse scenes is actually the people who are involved um, with them themselves. Uh, people are, are very spiteful in the communities that like try to profit off these nefarious activities and they're they'll backstab each other and um a lot of them i don't think are in uh, a great sense of life and so they kind of take things to the extreme that they shouldn't like i remember i was working on one story about people who uh crack runescape accounts it's this hacking method where they look through um breached databases so they'll they'll find your email from some means and they'll see if it's ever been involved in a breach database from some other website and see if you reuse the same password and they've like automated this process um and somebody who came to me to talk about this story said that he had pissed off other hackers in this community and um they they made fake um csam material um do, do you know what that term means no fake child um sexual oh, okay. assault material yeah and and uh, they sent this to his family on Facebook because they they had some sort of disagreement within their community. And uh, yeah, so I think that's probably the most like evil, vile thing that, that happens. It's usually internal to these different groups. Yikes. Yeah, that's that's scary. That's some scary shit. Yeah, um. this dude was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. Wasn't wasn't good. Wasn't good. I, I always wonder, like, do you have any sort of um, idea of how many, uh, what's the percentage of bots that are actively playing right now, like, in OSRS? Because I feel like nobody actually really knows. Like, Jagex claims that there's, you know, thousands of bots being banned daily um, or, you know, on the weekly basis of just, like, you know, tens of thousands of bots. Even sometimes they claim hundreds of thousands of bots. Do you have any idea of like what we're dealing with when it comes to bot farms and what we're because I feel like the including myself, the uh, average player has absolutely no idea how massive of an operation this is. Yeah, so actually. I don't have any numbers um, besides like what has been publicly stated, but that's like years and years ago, um, one of the CEOs at the time. In 2012, before the bot nuke said like 50% of the player base was botting or something like this. It was, it was some nuts number. But I do know over the years, I've seen what feels like a really big decrease in uh, botting and also the style of botting from talking to botters. Like they can't get away with it long term anymore. And so their botting methods rely on, they call it suicide botting, where they'll just create a bunch of level three accounts and then have them go cut oak trees, you know, for a couple days before they get hit with a band wave. Like Jagex <laughs> has made some yeah, strides in, in detecting them. Um, Interesting. I, I yeah, some of them, yeah. 
some of them have become really, really sophisticated. And it, it's been a few months since I've played LMS, but I know that occasionally I'd get matched up with just a Megatron uh, yeah, PKing bot that makes it very difficult to beat. And and I know that you know I'm rank, I'm no slouch either. I, I think I've ranked something like 400 uh, mm. on the LMS high scores. I've, I've got you know a thousand wins and and I'm a veteran with it. And my God, uh, the average player stands no chance if they're an LMS and going up against these bots. But they're few and far between. I just I was like amazed when when I was fighting them of like how good they've gotten. Like you, you can't just get away with one ticking and, and changing combat styles uh, to, to beat these things. Like you can most of the bots in LMS. I, I wonder if they're still there. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I know at one point I was really, really impressed with what they could do, but you know, like Jagex would wipe them pretty quickly. Interesting. Wait, wait, um... So they've, they've gotten beyond the point where you can't even one tick them. Like where you, uh, so, so, are you saying they're anticipating what you're about to pray next? Or they still do that, they just do a bunch of armor switches and other things? Yeah, uh, the latter. So, that I mean, you, wow. you can try to one-tick and change combat styles and, and you know deal damage that way, but some of them have been even more advanced that they would anticipate. <laughs> wow. Kind of, yeah, they would anticipate like what, what was to come next. You know, oh if, my um, God. You, know, you can't just switch, like if you are if you have some distance between you, you can't just switch into a melee weapon and expect them to pray melee. Like they're not going to pray melee unless you're within, you know, a few tiles of them. So, you know, I was really impressed. That's uh, fascinating. Just, yeah, right. Of like how the hell that they were able to, to do this because that, that, that I imagine like it's pretty technical. Uh, you have to understand the nuances of PKing, which most people, you know, don't. Uh, most casual players don't. And then you have to understand how to code it in a way that, uh, will actually beat uh, or has a chance of beating, you know, really competitive and good PKers. They figured it out. Some of the most sophisticated software developers I've ever met are um, through videos I did on botting, and they were trying to code bots for RuneScape and doing a really good job at it. So Jagex is up against tough competition with them. But I do know I've seen, like, there's been a significant shift from botting into things like people in venezuela gold farming manually to avoid detection um and, and also jagex i think has made some big strides on the front of kind of curving the amount of uh secondary market gold trade that happens so people buying runescape gp for real life money um through bonds and through enforcement of like punishing players for buying gold through secondary sellers uh, we, we could talk about that a little bit yeah so i think um like, like, why is gold selling bad, and why are bonds not bad, even though it's buying gold from Jagex, um, technically? So the, the trouble with um, gold being traded on the secondary market in any MMO is that it incentivizes people to do things like bot, uh, hack other players, um, run scams in the game, because then they've got a real-life incentive to do that because they can sell the money. And so other... MMOs like World of Warcraft, they uh, try to combat this problem by making as many things not tradable as possible. So if you get a really good drop in the game, it's going to be bound to your account and you can't trade it. Um, but RuneScape has never been like that. Everything's tradable. It's a free economy, uh, except for that one time when they made that bad mistake of trying to take that away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's like, well, well, crap, how do you like deal with this problem? Well, take, uh, take this secondary market away and allow people to purchase uh, gold from the game 
makers directly. And for Jagex, this also has the ancillary benefit of like, well, now they're profiting from the gold sale. And so when people buy gold in a video game. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It kind of short-circuits certain pathways. Um, so, like, you're going to jump straight to having Bandos armor, and then Jagex might see this as, like, potential membership revenue that they're losing out on because now they're not going to play as long. And so by, like, getting the money from that gold sale, it, it um, they, they make more money than they would have off the membership versus if someone bought it from a third-party seller, they lose out on all of that entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, number one, I think, I think bonds were actually a really good introduction um, because now people have a legitimate means to purchase gold, and I, I don't think it's... Like, people are going to buy gold no matter what. And so giving them a means to do it legitimately is good. It also takes the profit away from all these nefarious actors. Um, and then on top of that, recently, um, uh, I think a year and a half ago now, I did an interview with um, someone who was selling RuneScape gold and doing like a million dollars a year in net profit. Like, one of the biggest gold sellers. There's only three or four million dollar gold sellers, and he was one of them. And... Um, Jagex introduced a new policy where they uh, started punishing people who bought gold through secondary markets and like I think they're doing like temporary bans and sending them a scary message um, and then maybe permanent bans if they kept doing it and uh, today gold prices are at a historic low for people selling gold and I was talking to a uh, RuneScape lure who I also did a video with and like he's completely out of the, the the scamming scene because it's just not worth it for him anymore like he can steal this money in the game but he can't sell it for very much and so it's just like not worth his time interesting oh I mean I feel like <clears throat> at least when it comes to just massive inflation where gold prices are just so low now of course I've been playing an Iron Man for like you know seven eight years at this point so like I've just never been involved in that scene for the most part, but you know, being around the game, you kind of understand what's going on, generally speaking. But I feel like just the sheer amount of gold that's being printed by all these new bosses and just everything just kind of shits out loot at this point. I feel like inevitably the prices are going to plummet. Um, that is really fascinating, though. Like, so I guess um, I was always curious because I thought, in a way, that third-party gold buying and selling services actually was almost like profitable for Jagex to keep them around in a sense. But you're saying the opposite. You're saying like it would be better almost if there was none of that. Yeah, I don't... Um, yeah, I think it's the ideal solution is is something like Bonds. Like this is what other games have kind of done to combat it because 
you know, it's not like really inherently bad that somebody buys gold and gets themselves cool armor in the game. Um, it's just that like it encourages all these like um, things that are detrimental to the player experience be because it exists. People start running bot farms and they start trying to scam other players and they start trying to hack your account. Um, I heard a, I think it was an EverQuest dev express the sentiment that um, in World of Warcraft's heyday, it was like more profitable to hack into someone's World of Warcraft account than it was their bank account because you could sell all their stuff for oh real life money. God. <laughs> and so anything they can do to um, de-incentivize secondary um, gold trade um, for real life money, I think uh, helps reduce the amount of like these negative player impacting activities um that people are doing interesting so i'm i'm also very curious because i feel like it's pretty easy to know what the major gold sites are and being being jagex being able to shut those down or is there just a huge process that it takes to shut down these sites I'm just oh very yeah curious. no they've they've shut down a few actually they've sent cease and desist and um all these legal threats um but I, I think it's challenging, especially when they set up shell companies in places like Cyprus. And I mean, Mason would, would know more about this type of stuff. But they, they have these complex um, business structures that are hard to pursue legally and, and put any real action on them to, to force them to stop. I, I do know that um, when I talked to this gold seller that was doing a ton of revenue, um, he had lost like a ton of money in gold just to bands alone. Like, he always really struggled with uh, keeping gold on accounts and not having Jagex just nuke them. Wow. Yeah, because that definitely is something that I feel like people don't... I don't consider it. I don't consider, like, okay, so these gold selling sites, there clearly has to be these accounts that are just filthy wealthy that have to somehow remain undetected somehow. So what they do, actually, is often they'll have... Um, they won't keep any gold... Um, their new approach is they don't keep any gold. And so when someone goes and purchases from the website, or they'll keep very little gold, they'll then put out kind of like a, a request for a seller within their internal channels. And they'll mm. find somebody, maybe a scammer, maybe a hacker who who has that gold. Um, and then they'll actually, they'll have the seller of the gold trade the buyer of the gold. And the gold like website owner doesn't have any accounts involved whatsoever. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah and so they mitigate their risk that way that's like one technique that they started um employing to try to get around these bands that they were suffering from. how do you how do you even detect that at that point like being able to tell if somebody's selling and buying is it just purely like sometimes i actually wonder what is jagex doing that can detect these things especially when it's literally just a random player trading another random player technically is it just the consistency of it and the huge variety of players that they're trading and kind of, I don't know, like the meetups. Like, is there anything that can actually detect it accurately? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's tough. I think um, oftentimes, like, people that are selling gold to these websites do it frequently because they've got some sort of means of getting large quantities of gold. Mm -hmm. And so they maybe get detected that way just because frequency, they're doing it often. But, yeah, I'm not sure. Very interesting. But it would not be so like any of these bands, they're not actually 100% because there's no actual evidence that there's real life money being traded. But it's just yeah. a, a, a very educated guess, I'm assuming like, okay, you're clearly something's going, going down. Yeah, and, and I don't think they'll have any intentions of ever revealing their processes and how they detect it. Because of course, that would 
tip people off. But I imagine that you know, if one uh, account hasn't traded another account before or interacted with that account, I imagine Jagex has a way of, of knowing that. And then all of a sudden there's a, a large sum of gold traded from one to the other. Uh, and then, you know, that, that probably flags their system. And, um, you know, if any JMods are listening to this pounding their, their heads on their desks, you know, I, I probably oversimplified their, their process, uh, you know, way too much, but that, that's how I imagine that, uh, that, that, uh, is one way that they bust people. Um, okay, so Mason, in our last episode, we were kind of talking about Crusader uh, game events that you guys are uh, had like hosted, and um, I believe earlier this year you guys had the. I think you just sponsored it potentially, but it was a, like an Eviescape Hootie Tootie Speedrun Cup. Do you guys have any plans to uh, sponsor any other events upcoming? Is there anything that you can reveal? <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, nothing I can reveal yet, uh, but there's definitely more events coming in the pipeline. We, we've had a Battle Royale this past year, as well as a Speedrun Cup that was you know, sponsored by Jagex, Crusader Talent. Um, and then we also hosted the Crusader Classic, which was uh, sponsored by Jagex. That was a PvP tournament where our, 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 uh, our creators got to compete one another and it was casted live by evscape it was it was so much fun with me being a pker and my you know, pvp content being my personal favorite it was great getting like all of the crusaders that are under our uh, under the roof as as an agency to compete with one another it's a good team building event as well but yeah more, more to come i wish i had a, a big announcement to drop but uh you know, evscape plans on hosting events on a quarterly basis and you know anything uh, he's behind, I'm behind too, and, and as is the rest of the Crusader. So uh, more to come down the pipe. Very cool. And is there any, like, um, I guess just as Crusader talent in general, because you, I think it's been around for, what, three-ish years? Is that correct? Just over four years. Just okay, over wow. four years. It's been, yeah, it's been a while. Now that I look at it in hindsight. Are you guys planning on expanding even further? Or do you guys kind of like the... I, I, like, I know you've already um, expanded two other games. Is there a further plan to continue that? Or is it really just about kind of containing what you already have and, and kind of flourishing in that area? Yeah, mostly the latter. I mean, you know, any most businesses want to want to grow and expand. And, you know, we do too, but... It, we're very, very cautious. Uh, you know, I have to say no to so many creators that you know want to join Crusader, who might be a good fit, simply because you know I, I just can't let us get too big for you know our staff to you know be able to deliver you know an elite service. You know, if 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 uh, everyone had it their way, you know we would we would have hundreds of creators on our roster, and we wouldn't be able to get anything done. There's just too many people to support. So. Uh, we've uh, been growing incrementally where, you know, where it makes sense, where, you know, creator expectations are aligned with where we can actually deliver, you know, RuneScape is our, is our bread and butter, you know, with over 50 of our creators coming from, you know, this title alone. But if there are creators and other titles that, um, you know, have value to the sponsors that we're working with and have, you know, reasonable expectations, and, you know, we will absolutely uh, engage with them and, and sign them. Uh, in other categories, but you know we, we don't have like a, you know a big campaign or a big effort to expand into you know X Y Z title or or category uh, moving forward. Uh, although I will say that our business, uh, well, it's 
you know, it, it could be a standalone business, but Affinity Media Group is is a, a, a part of the same umbrella as Crusader Talent and Affinity Media represents the advertisers. So, you know, oftentimes we work with advertisers uh, who have budgets that are simply greater than we can fill with the with the creators on our roster. You know, uh, if, just think about it, like zoom out a bit and think about the, the scope of YouTube and how many channels there are, and then zoom back in and look at Crusader Talent, you know, a, a, you know, a mid-sized talent agency with about 65 content creators on it. You know, that's, that's only a tiny, tiny sliver. It's a drop in the ocean, how many creators there are out there. And so oftentimes uh, these advertisers will, um, you, know, you know, choose to work with the crusaders, but also have budgets and have the desire to work with creators outside of the RuneScape category, even outside of the creators on our roster. So we've been developing that division of our business and we, you know jagex is one of our clients so you know i get to interface with jagex and you know three different businesses which is which is great creator crafted crusader and now affinity media and we help those advertisers um you know we, we broker the deals between the advertisers and the creators to uh, expand the reach of the advertisers because it, it, it can be quite tricky um booking deals with creators it requires a level of know-how that uh, very few brands have in-house uh, and it, you know, even if they have the know-how it's, it's often difficult for them to execute so they oftentimes uh, you know outsource this these you know this service uh, of campaign management to uh, to other third-party agencies and one of them is affinity media i'm curious when it comes to creators um doing their own sponsorships like by themselves without an agency like trying to negotiate mm -hmm. with uh sponsors because i feel like one of the things at least um on twitch i know uh stream elements does a lot of uh sponsor gathering for a mm -hmm. lot of creators and it feels like for a lot of them they're kind of ripoffs yeah yeah and it, so i i'm just very curious is it do you feel like there's something to be said about a creator's value of like what they're bringing? And do you think uh, um, being a part of an agency, because clearly you do being, you know, involved in crusader talent, like understand what a creator's value is. So do you think uh, there's something to be said about those that are kind of just negotiating their own sponsors, any like tips or any uh, advice that you can give to yeah. those kind of creators? Yeah, no, I, I think obviously there's a bit of bias here because I own an agency, but I'm also a researcher, you know, I'm pursuing a doctorate, in, in, you know, specifically studying how brand sponsorships impact content creators. And, you know, my, my thesis is supervised by Edinburgh Business School and Harvard Business School faculty and Crusaders also partnered with Harvard Business School faculty to conduct research, you know, on the creator economy. And one of the things that we're studying is, you know, exactly that of like, uh, you know, you know, are, are brands taking advantage of creators and in, in what sense? Like we have to have a deep understanding of uh, how does this creator economy operate and what is the role of uh, independent creator versus, you know, the agencies in all of this. And, you know, I find that uh, that creators who are represented by agencies, well, of course, it depends on the agency because there's some really bad ones out there and there's, and there's a lot of really great ones out there. Uh, it, it, you by having a representative who is more business savvy, um, you know, who has more experience in negotiating things. I mean, just naturally you, you get an advantage by having a representative. I mean, think about people who represent themselves in, in court. I think it's called pro se is the Latin, uh, the Latin word used in law that, you know, to represent yourself. And, 
uh, you know, in most in most cases, maybe with some exceptions of maybe traffic court, you know, you're you're better off having an, an attorney represent you. Um, you know, there's just nuances that a layperson simply can't, uh, you know, understand or learn on the spot, and they're not going to be as savvy, uh, you know, especially when interfacing with the law. And so, I think the same applies with, uh, you know, with booking sponsorships because you know there's a contract that governs every sponsorship, and unless you have an ability to interpret a contract from a you know a technical legal perspective, you don't you don't really know what you're signing. And we found over the years. Uh, and, and still to this day, uh, so many brands that just have predatory clauses. I mean, the rights to the creator's name, image, and likeness in perpetuity. So by uh, you know agreeing to a sponsorship deal, which you think is just a sixty-second ad slot, you're also signing away. Uh, you know, you're also granting the rights for them to to use your name, image, and likeness forever, as if you know you're you're uh, endorsing the brand, and so that, and then they can do whatever they want with it to put your brand as a creator on their website, put you on a billboard if they wanted. And that's just one example of many that, you know, I can catch these things and my, my staff can catch these things in contracts and negotiate them, you know, uh, down or, you know, their removal altogether and independent creators, you know, really struggle uh, with doing that. Of course, exceptions apply, you know, you know, having, being part of an agency and having a manager, you know, isn't, isn't necessary uh, to be a content creator, but it, it certainly does help. And well, look, we got one one of them on the call, um, you know, that, that I've represented for several years now. And Crum is it, he's savvy. Look, he he built this figurines business, you know, from scratch, and you know, into a respectable business that gets to to sponsor creators and still be profitable. But you know, he still you know, is a part of an agency because it adds value to him. And I think uh, you know, hearing it straight from the horse's mouth, uh, you know, is to I suppose the the benefits from a creator's perspective is probably best for anyone listening to the podcast from yeah look i would sign away my firstborn child <laughs> if they offer me oh any decent chunk of money and i'm sure as heck not reading uh, any contract they give me either i'm just gonna slap my signature on that and pass that back and ask when the check's gonna come in and then when the check doesn't come in i'm gonna be in real trouble because i'm certainly not gonna try to sue them or anything like this so yeah no it's it's really valuable to um be signed with an agency that just handles all that and i think you get better deals too right because you guys are basically like like these companies want to want to spend they've got an advertising budget to spend and they want to get rid of it as soon as possible because it's someone's job to spend it and yeah. so when you're with an agency they'll they'll approach you mason right and they'll you know book these big creator deals um with you know 10 20 30 creators and um if you know if i was trying to do that on my own i wouldn't get get nearly as you know, the size of deals or the amount of deals and then also would have all these, you know, troubles collecting payments and uh, managing these expectations. So, yeah, it's just uh, not something I'd ever want to do on my own. Yeah. And from a brand's <clears throat> perspective, it's just more convenient. I mean, just think of put, put yourself in a campaign manager's shoes and say you have a budget that, you know, to, to book, say, 20 creators for a campaign. You know, uh, most often um, if having to choose between having to deal with 20 different people, i.e. independent creators, you know, and contract those deals separately and manage the, the operations of each activation with each creator you know, individually uh, versus going through a single point of contact, you know, as an agency and, and you get to speak with another industry professional 
uh, that that can help coordinate all of you know the 20 creators. And you could just all you have to do is cut one check at the end of the campaign instead of 20 individual ones. You know, there's uh, you know most reasonable people can ascertain that you know it's it's more advantageous for the brands to do that, and that's exactly why you know they prefer working with agencies generally speaking, than independent creators, because it becomes a hassle. I mean, look, I book creators all the time. So is, so is my staff at through Affinity. And uh, sometimes like, you know, the, the expectations of professionalism, you know, when dealing with a talent manager versus an independent creator, you know, it's just, it's vastly different. Uh, it's, it's just way easier to work with people who have, uh, you know, who have business experience, who have done these things and who are representing uh, the creators than it is to work directly with them. So it's, it's not even uh, just my biased perspective and being an agency owner of a you know, talent agency. It's just that I've, I've booked, I've been the principal negotiator in over 2000 of these influencer deals. So, you know, it, it it's just easier that way. And uh, Trump's right. Like, you know, there's, there are creators, particularly the smaller ones who simply wouldn't get the attention of the, uh, of the advertisers if they weren't signed with an agency. So, you know, people will, reach out to people like Solo Mission and Torbesta on our roster and you know, just thinking that they're reaching out to those two. And of course, we always prioritize you know, getting deals for whoever the brand reaches out to first. But then, you know, if they have an interest, oftentimes they'll ask, hey, do you have other creators as well uh, that, that we could work with that are, you know, that play old school RuneScape? You know, uh, we're your Crusaders, a one-stop shop for it. So, you know, it affords opportunities to creators that they otherwise wouldn't have had you know, just by being a part of the network. That's really cool. I know I can say, yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay. Um I I in the very early days I took a couple of deals on my own and it was a f- nightmare collecting the money for that. Like it was such a hassle. And then I signed well, I didn't sign with them, but I was like partnered up with uh, another talent agency before Crusader. And it felt pretty predatory the way that they were structuring the deals. Like they were paying me on a on a by viewership basis, but I'm pretty sure they were booking like flat rates, and they were giving me like a really bad like rate per per thousand views. Uh, and what I like about like Crusader is that Mason and, and the team always tries to negotiate a flat rate first, which is super important when you're uploading these videos because to have some expectation of what your income might be regardless of views is just like puts a big big weight off you know my chest um to be able to like plan a little bit financially for what the income might be instead of relying on the performance of the video entirely yeah i was gonna say uh it looks like and i'm not sure if you guys are fully aware but like youtube looks like they're doing their own sort of uh thing called brand connect which i was just introduced to several weeks ago where they are trying, it almost seems like they're trying to become the middleman with these sponsorships on their own uh, site of, you know, getting sponsorships directly to you as a YouTuber. And I don't know if you have any sort of idea of what that's going to do to like ad agencies, if anything. Yeah, yeah. So YouTube's always had a little something. Um, I think the the platform is called maybe Grapevine before Brand Connect, and you know YouTube. Uh, you know maybe this it, it was acquired through an acquisition, but they had some service that they owned that you know brokered these deals on behalf of the advertisers. And uh, from my perspective, uh, and and I haven't really uh, dug deep into Brand Connect. There really hasn't been any sponsorship opportunities that have been 
even worth looking at. Like the, the, the rates are super low and they've got a long way to go before creators will take it seriously. But, mm. um, you know, I absolutely love the idea of YouTube being the intermediary between advertisers and creators, which, you know, creators are always going to need that representation no matter what, even if YouTube is brokering the deals. Uh, you know, like, for example, there are platforms like Stream Elements that, uh, you know, some deals are better than others. Yeah, but, you know, you still have, it's still nice to have a manager go in and, and, um, and, and, uh, look for the deals, negotiate them, you know, accept and decline them, submit the drafts for you, collect payment for you. Like none of that goes away with, uh, you know, having an intermediary. So that there's already uh, intermediaries that exist and, you know, platforms that facilitate them. But uh, a big problem in our, in the, the creator economy is the collection of payments. So, you know, we work with sponsors uh, from, and I can generalize this to, uh, any creator that takes sponsorships, they work with brands uh, and agencies that are located all around the world. You know, what are you going to do if, you know, you've got a thousand dollar contract and there's an LLC, you know, the, the sponsor is run by an agency that has an LLC in Cyprus and they don't pay you. Well, it's very hard, let me tell you, to, to collect payment, um, you know, from, uh, from, from bad actors. Like, you know, there's ways to negotiate upfront payment, of course, but most, you know, the, the standard in in the creator economy is that these deals are paid for after the sponsorships are done. And yeah, you have a contract that may assure you get paid. However, enforcing that contract in you know foreign jurisdictions is a whole nother issue, and it's one that's very complicated and very costly. You know, for for me to you know call up your legal counsel uh, and and have a matter sorted, and, and most creators and agencies have the same. You know, issues that it's very expensive. It'd be three, four, five hundred dollars an hour, depending on on the attorney. And uh, you know, for them to even write a letter, a demand letter, it can be very costly and uh, erode margins quickly. And so, you know, the collection of payment is just a major issue. A lot of advertisers engage in slow pay practices because what are you going to do about it? You're going to file a lawsuit that costs tens of thousands of dollars, uh, or at least thousands of dollars, out of the gate, and, and sue a sponsor that you you know, probably want to maintain a positive relationship with? And the answer is, you know, most often not. So what do you do? Well, you you have to sit and wait, you know, and being a part of an agency, you know, we, you know, if, if any particular brand has uh, a past due balance of more than like 15 days, you know, we give them a bit of a grace period, uh, but anything beyond 15 days, their whole account gets put on, on pause. The whole agency does not release any more ads for them or submit any drafts until, um, until you know they're they make us whole, and you know that's a way for us to ban, you know band together and you know gain some leverage over these you know these advertisers. And so uh, to have an intermediary that um, you know that puts funds in an escrow. So like imagine you're a brand, right? You know, uh, and you want to book creators and you want to go through YouTube to do it through Brand Connect or whatever that this feature, this portal evolves into. You know, it would be awesome to have these brands you know prepay. Uh, basically, and have YouTube hold their money uh, in, in what's called an escrow. And, you know, once the deliverables are successfully completed, then those funds are automatically released or they're released within X amount of days after the, uh, the, the video goes live. You know, that would solve a lot of problems uh, in the creator economy is to have a reliable intermediary. And look, I would even be happy if YouTube took a percentage of this, you know, and, and monetized this, you know, to have the assurance that, you know, all of these creators will be paid you know, on time and in full, and there's going to be no BS. 
Uh, there's no administrative burden or legal cost for them to take a percentage of the deal. I would I personally, I'd be happy with and something that I've been you know, calling for in the industry for a while, uh, because you also have an issue with who's actually facilitating these deals. You know, very few states in the U.S. require a license to be, you know, a talent manager. Uh, you know, a- a- any Joe Blow can open a talent agency tomorrow and begin representing YouTubers. And so, you know, there's, of course, instances of, of fraud whereby, uh, you know, these agencies run off with the money of the creators. And um, it's it's a mess. Uh, there's not a ton of regulation. And, and so, like, the introduction of, of Brand Connect, you know, assuming it, it actually catches up to what, the industry needs what you know would be a, a huge relief interesting yeah it, it does seem still like a uh like a, a completely new industry to be doing what you're doing and they, yeah it is funny how just the average person can just start it up um well yeah, and l- yeah look th- there's an opportunity uh it- you mentioned that it's, you know, this is new. Yeah, it's absolutely new. Like there's very little research done on the creator economy, which is which is why I've, I've dedicated my academic you know, career. I, you know, I went back to school after a bachelor's degree to, to pursue a doctorate to, you know, add to the body of knowledge on the subject because I've, I've been in, you know, a practitioner for, for four years now. And, you know, most, you know, these researchers that are conducting research on the creator economy don't have the practical experience and they don't have much to go off of. There isn't much academic literature on uh, you know, the creator economy at large you know, um, or, or, or influencer marketing, which is one of the biggest marketing tactics in the world right now. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, there are studies that suggest it's more effective than you know, traditional digital advertising means. And that's why so many brands are investing uh, money into it more so than than traditional advertising means and so you know there's a huge there's so many research questions and uh, gaps in the literature that have yet to be answered because it is so new and i think that you know as this uh you know industry matures some more you know you're going to get you know more regulation introduced you're going to have a you know the, the general layperson will have a greater understanding of well what what like you know uh, influencer marketing will be demystified a bit. You know, everyone's here sponsors, but, you know, very few people actually understand the mechanisms of how it works. And so, you know, the more research that gets conducted, you know, the, the more textbooks that are made, the more it's taught in schools. And, and ultimately, the more people, uh, you know, uh, will eventually understand about about it. That is the really fascinating thing is just like me growing up. There was no such thing as being a YouTuber. Nowadays, <laughs> yeah. I, I actually wonder what it's like for Gen Z to like just kind of be in a world where no, this is, this is an actual career path. If you chose to, to be a, like a content creator and it's not scoffed at. Yeah. I know I know, I mean, say it's their uh, dream job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, there was a pretty interesting study. that's actually getting cited in my thesis. Uh, I, I should know it better, but there was a survey that was conducted. Oh, by some group. And, you know, among the professions, there's like, you know, firefighter or, you know, doctor, uh, police officer, YouTuber, and YouTuber uh, was you know the number the, you know it was the number one uh, career choice of these wow. you know, children under like say say thirteen somewhere around there, and it was it was like by a considerably wide margin. So you know, Gen Alpha, I think that's the generation that's younger than than Gen Z, if I'm not mistaken. You know, they, they spend a lot of time on social media. They spend a lot of time on YouTube. Everyone's heard and everyone's seen the the iPad babies. 
that you know sit at the dinner table with with screens pulled up you know so yep. their parents can can keep them to you know shut up i hope i don't become one of those parents and maybe i would appreciate it when i do have a rug rat uh, that that won't that won't shut up and putting a screen in front of them will will get them to quiet down so I've, you know i've got uh you know i can i can level with them there but you know i i think that this industry is only going to develop and i think the research suggests that and i think just the demand for authenticity um suggests that you know people don't uh, you know there's there's going to be a market for traditional means of entertainment like netflix hulu uh you know amazon prime video like people still are going to watch those things i don't necessarily think that the you know, independent creators is going to take down Hollywood per se, but you know it's becoming um, you know it, it's it, Hollywood and the entertainment industry at large has their hands full because anyone with an internet connection and a smartphone and you know and or a computer you know can become a creator and to and create content with very minimal barrier to entry compared to what it was like you know say 20, 30 years ago, hell, even fifteen years ago uh, to actually. Uh, provide entertainment to people and and in mass. So you know it, the industry's got a long way to go, and it's it's exciting. It's exciting to be at the at the the forefront of it. Really, like it, there's just a lot to be learned about the phenomena of you know how these brand sponsorships have impacted creators. Like there there are unintended there are uh, unintentional behavioral consequences as a re, you know result of these sponsors, and that's what my my thesis digs into. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's a strange time we live in. Also, with I've been really fascinated with AI and just like oh, even yeah. even like AI productions. I mean, like full on artificial intelligence created content. Um, do you ha- like? Is there in the next you know ten twenty years? I mean, what is? Do you know of anything we can expect when it comes to AI? Like genuinely, like creating content by itself like are, are we gonna are we gonna be taken over as humans like nobody wants <laughs> nobody wants the human content anymore we want the ai stuff because they really know what we want you know um it's i'm so glad you brought up ai because it's it's an area that i'm so fascinated with and i know i i, I know crub is too uh, because it is so incredibly impressive right now and you know the the people who you know, are pioneering this AI development, you know, um, you know, insist that, okay, what you see now, what, you know, GPT-4 can do and DALI, um, you know, you know, through, um, that's developed by OpenAI, this is just a fraction of what AI will be capable of. And uh, its productions right now are, like, what it's able to produce, what it's able to output is incredibly impressive. Um, you know, you know, I encourage anyone to, who hasn't played around with it, you know, go to openai.com or go, you know, check out Dolly and just type in a prompt for it to create a visual. And, uh, you know, it does a pretty remarkable job of creating, you know, a Van Gogh painting from scratch, but, you know, make it a, I don't know, a chicken head instead of a, you know, a, a human. And, you know, it'll, it'll pull from the, the style of, of painting that Van Gogh had and made it, make it look you know, realistic. And, you know, we can do that in a matter of seconds. We've also seen, um, you know, AI taken over, well, not, not, not taken over, but starting to become a, a real problem, uh, particularly for creators. I know Joe Rogan's talked about it on his podcast, a bunch of how uh, the um, people are using AI to uh, uh, use the likeness of Joe Rogan. So like this AI depiction of Rogan and they're able to copy his voice to get him to endorse their brands. And so, 
uh, you know, there are advertisements being run where it sounds just like Joe Rogan. I mean, you would not know the difference. Um, and he's not the only one that's being impacted by this. And it's it's virtually indistinguishable from reality. And I think we're going to get to a point um, in our lifetimes, and I think it's going to happen way sooner than people, uh, you know, the general population may appreciate that, you know, AI, may, you know, may very well be indistinguishable from reality. And uh, I'm interested to hearing Crumb's thoughts on this, because I, I know we've discussed that a bit, but never in depth like this. Well, I think it's interesting, Mason, you... Um dabbled in starting a YouTube channel and really leveraging AI uh, to help with the script writing process. Yeah. And I yeah, know you uh, ran a yeah. personal time to keep pursuing it, but yeah, you did a whole video pretty well. Yeah, no, I, I did. And, you know, this video, it's, uh, the channel's called Art Unveiled and it's got 16,000 views. It has one video on it. And I used AI, specifically uh, ChatGPT4, to... Uh, to help with a lot of the research and, and script writing, you know, how to create a narrative around um, this painting, uh, uh, you know, done by Emmanuel Loitza called uh, Washington Crossing the Delaware. It's, you know, it's iconic for the Americans listening. Maybe you've heard of it, and I'm sure if you've seen it, you'd recognize it. But, um, you know, it, it's a really arduous process to conduct the, the research that's required to make, you know, an informative YouTube video, particularly of arts. You know, there's, there's a lot of mystery behind, you know, art and, and, and uh, you know what what was happening at the time. You know wh why the artists created what they did and the techniques that they've used. And you know using AI to you know as a as a research buddy uh, was really helpful. And you know I made sure to, to fact check everything because of course not everything that the the, the LLMs a large language model that's what you know uh, AI models like ChatGPT are called um, or are categorized. You know they're not always perfect. Of course there's some you know misinformation disinformation. And the big issue is, you know, biases and uh, in the AI models that uh, provide well biased answers because of the people who are coding them. Um, and you know, my my uh, supervisor at Harvard Business School you know, does a lot of research in this regard. I wouldn't do her work any justice in talking about it. But you know, there's there's a lot. It, you know, it's a, it's a deep entangled web to go down um, in talking about this stuff. But yeah, I experimented with it. And I was really impressed with its output. And you know, look, the the YouTube video speaks for itself on a fresh channel to have sixteen thousand views. It, it doesn't sound like much compared to the, the three million uh, that that Crub's uh, able to, to produce on his channel. But from scratch and from nothing, and, and AI generated, uh, mostly AI generated information, you know, is is pretty impressive. And I think that it's only going to get more sophisticated with time, where people can actually create videos um, and edit them and uh, and, and have them voiced all with AI. And I think it's coming soon. Crazy. I'm excited to potentially see AI. I, I know there's a few projects in the works, but none of them are really public and none of them you can really use. And um, someone like me can't use yet. Uh, but to be able to generate video from text and do it in a way that is like actually entertaining to watch, um, that would be like so useful for me because... Oftentimes these stories I cover, they don't have any footage <laughs> to show while I'm talking about them. And so got to get really, really, really creative with stock footage and try not to show too many website screenshots with highlights to keep it entertaining. Um, and I don't have the, uh, you know, ability to go out and like hire actors and, and do sets and like reenact what whatever it is that I'm talking about. So maybe if AI could generate some visuals for that it would be really good 
Um, I use it all the time now as a kind of like a, a writing pal and a brainstorming pal, pal, especially um, when it comes to like structuring stories and like what should the narrative arc be and um, how can I rewrite this so it follows principles of style. Like I'm really, really critical of things. Like I never want to waste a word in one of these videos. Every single word counts. And if even like as much as repeating something um, will hurt engagement and make it less entertaining. So um, I found ChatGPT to be really good at being like a rewriting buddy, but um, hasn't been so helpful yet for the type of research that I do. Like it's not able to um, figure out all the different, you know, aliases that somebody has ever used online and then pull up Wayback Machine and <laughs> take a 15-year-old forum post and then tie that into the story of how maybe they turned into somebody that stole $15 million of, of crypto. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty specific. It's pretty nuanced. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's going to be a while before I can replace you. I think your job's safe, Crumb. I hope so. I'm a little, <laughs> I am a, I'm a little scared that it's going to get so good that people are just generating captivating videos you know with uh, a prompt and a click of a button at some point that i'm going to be out of a job because i really don't want to have to go back to programming uh, <laughs> yeah i think we got a couple more years yet <laughs> yeah look at this look at it this way um you know everyone at least in the states and most people on earth have access to the internet and have access to vast amounts of uh of uh, of information and they can learn new skills and yet People still don't necessarily do it, you know, just because people will have the access, you know, to do these things and, you know, they could leverage AI to, you know, uh, shortcut some of the learning curve doesn't necessarily mean that people will. Um, so, you know, I think um, I think more jobs are safe than uh, the average person may may think like what, you know, when AI, uh, you know, quote unquote, takes over. Like, you know, people still have to be able to employ that AI to do to do things. And it requires a bit of know how, uh, you know, not not just a, a few sentence, you know, uh, void, a few sentence text input, to, you know, uh, you know, automatically pop up uh, a YouTube channel that's going to, you know, be competitive with all of the other YouTube channels that are out there. So, you know, I, I think that particularly at creative jobs you know, are, I, I don't want to say safe because like there, there's always going to be an, an evolution of, of, uh, of, of careers as technology advances, just as we've seen, you know, all throughout history. So AI is just, you know, another variable, but it is rapidly improving. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's some crazy times. I, I literally cannot even imagine what's going to be our reality in the next like 15, 20 years. It's going to be oh, it's exciting, a different world. It? Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. Okay, um, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I want to uh, just run it by you guys. Do you have anything else that you guys want to talk about before we kind of wrap things up? Is it is it say or Seder or maybe Seder, uh, say Bay, say yeah, okay. anything, anything really. Mister Bay, yeah, dude. I'm, I I don't know. If maybe you've talked about it before. I'm curious to hear a little bit about you. I know you play an Iron Man and you have an Iron Man series on a separate YouTube channel, and you started the Say Bay cast. And um, if you want, I'd be curious to hear you, hear about how you got into the Say Bay cast to begin with, because you've talked to some big names. And uh, like I mentioned before we started this call, I've even watched um, many of them when doing research for my own RuneScape videos. So yeah, yeah that, that was like that was intro. flattering to hear. But yeah, no, the, the Say Bay cast honestly has been like a really fulfilling project for me. I've been doing it weekly for actually in two days, it'll have been three years of doing this. So wow, congrats. Um, 
Thank you. Yeah, no, I started just like the idea was, you know, just talking about RuneScape with random people because personally, I've always enjoyed long form talking about interests of mine. Just anybody that's talking about it, I think is fascinating. So obviously RuneScape was my biggest interest. And um, yeah, it kind of started off with just talking to friends, people that I already knew. And then pretty quickly started, I I mean, I, I was a streamer at the time, pretty up and coming. And then talking to creators and then getting like Mod Arcane, Mod Husky on in the early episodes. That was amazing. And then, you know, Solo Mission, I think, was the first real big guest I had on that was extremely intimidating. And then, you know, having Foe <laughs> and then eventually Bodie and all these other people. But really what it was was just asking for people to come on. And uh, it's very surprising sometimes just knowing like how willing people are to just sit down and talk and... I think one of the cool things as well was just the explosion, at least this past year, you know, in my, um, I guess, YouTube career, like explosion by a huge margin, but relative to other creators, maybe not so much. But um, I think just those early episodes really popping off was uh, a really cool experience for me because like, now some of the episodes, I know the like Mod Sween episode has over 200,000 views, which initially I would have never imagined like getting even over 100,000 views on a, on a conversation where the entire video is just me playing RuneScape in the background and just talking. But uh, I think like the algorithm popping off and, and again, like Mason was saying, like actually I guess both of you were kind of saying how YouTube wants those longer videos. They want to have that they want people on their site longer and they've also been trying to get their podcast game up. So they've now created new segments where podcasting is an actual like form of a playlist. So, and they really been trying to pump those up, I think. And I think that's kind of why the algorithm hit the Sebe cast so well, which is because this is a fresh podcast that they can, you know, try to funnel viewers into. But, uh, no, it's just been, it's been really fun and it's something where like I really want to continue it for the future because one thing with podcasting in general is it really is all about consistency mm -hmm. and just with any sort of creative thing, you're not going to be the best ever at it initially. It's all, it's all a process. You become a better so host true. over time. You learn things. You know how to interact with people a little bit better over time and I think the most fascinating part is just having gotten to meet so many people and going to TwitchCon was like an amazing experience because I, I had talked to so many of them just you know for three hours in a discord call and then meeting them in person was like we already kind of had that connection so I think that's like the most fulfilling is just getting to talk to people one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two so I think yeah, what's so that. interesting is is yeah of course getting to know these creators outside of well their their youtube channels i mean most people don't get that opportunity as casual fans but like you're just scrolling through your youtube channel and seeing like the the kinds of people you've gotten to spend time with you know mod zaiza mod sween nine rain uh, i know zoe's a part of it abyss katarina coxie like these are all nice people like these are these are good people these are good humans like just yep. generally speaking like they're they're very interesting they've made a career as creatives but like you know, you know, behind the scenes and, you know, as, as, you know, individuals outside of their careers as creators, they're just generally good people. And so, you know, the RuneScape community, I've just been so in love with over the years. And I, I imagine you have been too, and, and which 
probably why you know you've had so much success as a as a podcast host and you know uh you're being supported by you know some of these bigger names that you know in other titles you know the you know, there are egos involved and I'm sure you know that's the case in the RuneScape community to some extent here but I feel like the barriers are uh are, are down compared to what the content creator communities are like in other titles wouldn't you say totally yeah I think one thing that helps on YouTube too with RuneScape content is people are playing a clicker game and they want content to consume and the long form content gets uh really high watch time because of that you know um, yeah yeah no that's that's definitely for sure like there's some episodes where you know most most episodes that i have are around two to like the four-ish hour range mostly in between two and three but i've had some really longer episodes and even on like the average three-hour episode like the watch time will be up around an hour and a half i mean that's just very crap. crazy for a lot of youtube content to have the average yeah, unheard watch time of half of it yeah and yeah that's that's I do occasionally get the negative comment like, why is this auto playing? I got woken up to a conversation with you because, you know, they'll watch like a solo mission video or whatever. And then, you know, it'll auto play a couple other videos. And then all of a sudden they're stuck in this four hour conversation where they wake up <laughs> and they're like, oh, so, you know, that probably plays a little bit of a factor into it. But uh, it's it's definitely really cool to see. And also with bringing it to spotify and all these other podcasting platforms and being able to see just the analytics on those ends because with the podcasting platforms there isn't necessarily that algorithm that can be hit as well there probably is some form of it potentially on spotify i know i've discovered podcasts just from the um more like section where like you w listen to a mm -hmm. podcast and you see what other ones are going on but there's no real autoplay thing or any like very well i i guess uh created like i don't know autoplay like just sort of recommended yeah. section at all but um it is cool to see as well the analytics on there and just being able to kind of see how it's doing on other ends yeah I wonder... you know what else something so super cool about this community is that like right now as we speak yeah, there's someone in sweden that's hearing my voice there's someone in new zealand there's someone in australia there's someone in canada uh, you know, all over the world, uh, you know, this game is popular all over the world. And as is your, I, I think I've maybe had the opportunity to look at your analytics. It, maybe, uh, but perhaps not. I'm just used to seeing so many RuneScape it's uh, very creator analytics across. sponsors. Yeah, yeah. I imagine it's, well, I know it's it's very similar across and I imagine yours is lend as well. And so like you get the opportunity, at least through YouTube, to, to reach a really wide audience and it's uh, recommendation uh, you know, capabilities are, are more robust, I think, than, you know, other podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So um, I'm, you know, keep, keep pumping out the, the content on YouTube. It seems to be working pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Chrome, what were you going to say? <laughs> I just want to say I've got um, a guilty pleasure of watching, like, there's like, uh, I know you do them too, the Ramble yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that people in the high level community do. I've got a, I've got a big guilty pleasure of watching those. I find them really calming for whatever yeah. reason. And nothing like listening to somebody talk about, um, you know, two ticking fish for <laughs> an hour straight. No, no, but <laughs> right. there, there is. It's not for everybody, but it. This is beyond RuneScape. Even it's like there is something so fascinating about somebody that's very passionate about something. Them just talking about it. Yeah. Now. It's not for everybody, of course, but that the people that really gravitate toward that, it's just amazing. I mean, I had 
uh, a brief obsession with chess. And even just listening to Agad Matter just talking about a game for 20 minutes about like what's happening in this chess game. Like it, you know, if you're not into it, you're not into it. But as there's something just nice about listening to somebody ramble about what's going on. <laughs> I don't it gets know. you into a trance. I'm never more relaxed than when I'm just doing something mindless on RuneScape and listening to some sort of long form ramble video about, you know, <laughs> totally. it seems. Um, I was I was curious if like the podcast was actually kind of born out of those ramble videos originally and that like because I I've, I've kind of relate to it in the sense that like I was doing these skiller progress videos and it was part of that niche and the high level community has this like ramble thing that they do that I love and I was just kind of wondering if that's like partly how the podcast started. Yeah, my my whole YouTube channel alone started as just a project. It was just like I'm gonna upload random stuff. I'm not going to treat it as anything, just, you know, anything lucrative, really. And very early on, I started with the rambles and just talking about what I'm doing in game because that's what I enjoyed watching. I didn't, I've never really cared that much about a production value when it comes to RuneScape videos. I just want to, I just want to watch somebody do something entertaining or talk about stuff. And I don't think there was a enough on youtube of just people talking about what they're doing in game so i decided i would do that and i've never been like great at editing or great at you know trying to create a narrative with a story or anything it's really just i think that's what i wanted to do and that was very organic of like i just want to talk i just want to talk to other people as well and whoever wants to watch it you know can watch it so i think you You know know, i think there's People are realizing there's more and more of a market for that um, unedited, unfiltered uh, style of content on YouTube now that so much of it has gone. Like, you know, YouTube's kind of been Mr. Beast Eyes in a way. Everyone's yes. trying to go for these crazy high production, high octane edits <laughs> that, you know, um, light up every single neuron in your brain. And, but then we have like, uh, like Sam Sulkin, the guy that's doing like the like long form fitness blogs recently, that's just been getting insane views recently mm-hmm. um, with unedited content and just talking to the camera. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a, a market for it, and I think now more than ever that a lot of what felt like YouTube was about originally has gone away and turned into more of um, these big productions. I think there's people are hungry for it. So yeah, yeah. no, no, and I, I I do think that's really cool that. You know, YouTube really did have that huge surge of just kind of clickbait, kind of just fast-paced, super, super fast-paced, never lose attention. And, uh, yeah, people definitely do crave the kind of just organic conversations. So it's it's fun yeah. to be able to do it. And, and it's also cool because I don't have much pressure to upkeep a production. Um, whereas, you know, some YouTubers um that'll remain nameless like you know some people will will focus so much on immediate growth so they'll come out with these crazy videos that really won't be sustainable (laughs) and and then as soon as people expect that from the channel and they're not being able to produce that anymore it's like the channel dies pretty quickly or it's like okay well you know you kind of came out with your couple bangers and now it's back to just this kind of lower quality stuff so i feel like my slow drip of just nothing extravagant just talking i think has been really like relaxing in my own life of just knowing i don't really have much pressure or much like i don't know just uh, some level to reach with each new video 
Yeah, you, you know, I, I just had this thought the other day. I was watching Torvesta's most recent video. Uh, maybe it was his video before, second most recent video. It doesn't matter. Uh, but it was it was a very basic edge style PKing video. And like I watched all of it and I loved it. And I I uh, it just dawned on me that it had been a really long time since I watched just very a very basic video. There's no crazy uh, storyline behind it. There's no like massive uh, high production value, you know, editing styles that are going in. Um, it was edge PKing and then a bit of bounty hunter PKing with, you know, just with commentary. And I, I personally, I loved it and I enjoyed every minute of it. And I, and I certainly know that there's content like this out there already, but to see like some, you know, one of the big names like Torvesta, you know, kind of go back to his roots and produce a video that is just simple. You know, not reinventing the wheel, not coming up with this crazy challenge, not grinding for a thousand hours, just PKing an edge and talking about it, you know, commentating yep, over it, yep. to, you know, to get a max DDS spec. I mean, that, that was the that was the purpose of the video. You know, see if I can hit a 50 50 uh, DDS spec, which is possible now. If you didn't know. Yep, um, I didn't know until video. I. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I really enjoyed it. It's like it's like it's the Bodhi recipe of just Bodhi just comes out with a video that's just very old school very classic of just just going through clips commentating what what he's doing just but he's extremely entertaining and he's been in the community for you know 12 plus years so yeah, yeah it's so funny like you, yeah you've got uh creators who are just racking their brains for hours and hours and hours on on thumbnails most of them do and <laughs> i I, you know, I i know that i know that crumb may be guilty of it too of just <laughs> you know, getting really get, yeah, really getting into the uh you know the level of detail that the average viewer you know may not even notice but you know makes a difference in the eyes of the, the creator and you know they spend a lot of time developing it and then you got someone like Bodhi, uh you know uh, who, who would just put up a freeze frame of yep. you know just a random clip in the video and you know he's, he's still averaging 150 to 200 thousand views and you know that's significant okay that's not a small number of people i mean that, that's a you know for the runescape community that's quite large and yeah he's an og he's the biggest or you know certainly top three on twitch in the category and and he's able to you know uh, you know get away with not having you know this massive uh, high production value and i think the reason people like that and i you know i think the way um, you know and the reason people like your podcast and the reason i like you know, Torvesta's, you know, edge style, simple PKing video is simply, it, it all goes back to authenticity of like, th there's no like manufactured script here. You know, th this is just a raw entertainment, uh, you know, someone whose opinion I value or, you know, at least find entertaining uh, and you, know, you get a big chunk of it uh, to watch and enjoy. And you know, I think that's why people you know, value influencer endorsements so much over just like random talking heads on TV, like ad commercials or billboards. Like there's just more value and authenticity than, than, um, you know, you know, the, the alternative. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's, it's cool. Um, it, it's just cool knowing that this has become something that I can do as, you know, a, a job in a sense. It's not, it's not a job whatsoever. There's absolutely no work required. It's, it's all fun for me, <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's just cool living in the age of the internet where you can really reach out to so many thousands of people across the world and just so freely too. you know, there, 
back in the you know 50s 60s 70s like you had to become like a movie star to be on the tv nowadays just have a phone which every single person has you can just start creating your own content it's just really fascinating living in the time we do it, it is it is uh you ever get a little high and and think about what it would be like to explain like what an airplane is to a to a fucking pilgrim you know like it, it really is amazing like the the access to technology and information that we have and how far we've come as uh, as humans that um is things that we take for granted like having a you know having a smartphone you know to look up the world's information you know at our fingertips in seconds i mean that 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 hasn't been around for that long i mean nope. uh, humanity's only been uh you know in, in existence for a tiny sliver of our uh, of the age of the universe and you know the uh, technological advancements that have been made in the last you know 100 years alone is such a tiny blip in in uh in time that it's just really fascinating to think about like what maybe the perspectives of uh, people that, you know, aren't, are, you know, we, we maybe consider that, you know, quite old, you know, uh, you know, the pilgrims or the early settlers in the, uh, of the United States and, you know, do it to explain that you don't have to die from, uh, you know, the whooping cough anymore. Like we have antibiotics now for that. Like, you know, we, we have uh, ways that you can sterilize uh, yourself and, and, and uh, you know, not, not die by the age of like 35 because of the advancements in, in, uh, in medicine over the years. That's just not something that very many people in humanity have gotten to take advantage of. And it's something that I think about pretty often just because I'm a, I'm a nerd and I think it's, yeah, it's no, cool I'm, because, I'm with you. you know, and then, then there's the thought, line of thought of like, okay, what's to come in the future? Of like, you know, look at how different the world is from even 100 years ago. It's, it's vastly different than it is now. I mean, people were riding uh, horses, okay, to as a means for transportation. You had horses, you had boats, all right? Um, I don't even know if you had the steam engine, uh, you know, Maybe, 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 the, maybe I'll give you the steam engine 100 years ago. But you know, think of what's to come in the next 100 years, uh, you know, what, of what humanity is going to do. And, you know, it, it could turn dark quickly uh, with AI and, um, and, and nuclear weapons and, you know, escalating conflicts between nations. But, uh, you know, I think I, I try to remain optimistic uh, of, of what's to come. And it's very exciting to not know what we don't know. Uh, and that yes. you know, we've got we got more resources than ever to develop technology in ways that we hadn't before, and so that that just accelerates the development of things and hopefully improves the livelihoods of of people as a result. Yeah, I remain an optimist when it comes to the future. I think uh, I can't remember. Um, it was either Obama or him quoting Martin Luther King, or it was Martin Luther King. It's for some reason I'm thinking Obama in this. He quoted. Martin Luther King, I think, but like the uh, the um, arc of history leans toward justice or something like that. Like something like where I guess it's the yeah. optimist in me that just imagines a world where we continually kind of come together as humanity. And, you know, there's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be problems. But I think uh, at least, again, the optimist in me imagines a world where we do start really, you know, understanding and coming together and you know kind of summing up our differences and being able to truly like love one another because uh i don't know i and who knows what the, the the future of the technological advances will be and uh i don't even think we can imagine what it would be because again when you were saying like imagining airplanes like 200 years ago what are you doing how could you imagine a metal <laughs> yeah. tube in the sky carrying people in a controlled manner across the sea 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's indistinguishable from magic. I mean, yeah, I, I think Elon Musk famously says that the, the technology is indistinguishable from, from magic or, or will be. Uh, just like it, it is if you put yourselves in the shoes of people in the past and explain the, the technology we have today. But, you know, I agree with you and, you know, I, I share that worldview. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's as cheesy as it sounds that, that love really is the answer and, um, and remaining positive and being compassionate, helping one another, being empathetic. You know, that, that's just going to make for a better, better world. And if, you know, if everyone were to do that, uh, you know, imagine where, imagine where we'd be. Uh, as a species, if if uh, we stopped killing each other, yeah. um, you know. But then then there's you know, some people who debate uh, or, t- or take the position that you know uh, there needs to be conflict, like um, you know, a, a world without uh, you know conflict and a world without pain, uh, sorrow is is uh, dystopian. Um, you know, there's there's lots of books on this, um, yeah, Anthem being one of them. Uh, uh, no. Yeah, and Anthem was a dystopian novel, but uh, the one I'm thinking of, uh, there was a, maybe you could help me here. Uh, uh, was it Brave uh, New World? Brave New World, where yeah. Soma, yeah, the drug Soma, which actually exists today, is is um, ingested or is, is taken in pill form. And, you know, you, you, you get this gloss over your eyes where all of a sudden the pain wishes, you know, washes away and, you know, everything is good and, and happy and... You know what? What would the world be if you didn't have the perspective of of what uh, you know uh, adversity felt like? And, and so, like you know, some conflict and some you know, negativity, you know, is is just required for perspective than you know a world that were just solely positive. So, uh, you know, it's um, it, these are deeper, deeper, deeper philosophical you know, perspectives than you know I, I can intellectualize. But I, you know, it doesn't stop me from. You know, you're researching it, looking into it, and, and being fascinated by it. You know, late at night. And, totally. Uh, yeah. No, it's it's. Uh, I really do spend a lot of time <laughs> philosophizing about these kinds of things, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Crum Mason, thank you guys so much for joining me today and uh, talking. I it's, I learned a lot. As always, uh, Mason, very grateful for you and the community uh, organizing events and um, being able to kind of help out with so many creators and, uh, you know, securing their, you know, careers and everything. So uh, greatly uh, appreciative of you and the community and Crum, wishing you all the best on your new adventures in the YouTube game. And uh, I hope it all goes well. It's really cool. Really nice to meet you as well. Um, Likewise for all my, all my yeah. pleasure thank you for those listening uh down in the description we're gonna have crumbs links and mason's links uh, i'll have you guys just actually link those to me uh after the fact and i'll have them all included down there but uh go show them some love go follow them on their socials go follow crumb on his youtube uh look thanks for having us and if you have any uh, interesting merchandise ideas uh, you know specifically old school runescape reach out to us we have a contact page on creatorcrafted.com. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you once again uh, for having us today, Seder. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Crum, Mason, it was a pleasure. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.